This week's parsha is parsha's Achrei Mais. One of the main Yisaidis of Yados of Yiddishkeit is the understanding that we have Bechira Chavshis, that we have free will when we make our decisions in life. This is not only a, an element, a facet of our belief in Yiddishkeit, but it's actually a function of why we're here in this world. The Mesos Yesharim writes at the beginning, right at the beginning of Parak Aleph, he famously starts off his Sefer with a Rashi Tevis of Yudke Vavke, one of the major tenets of our belief an understanding of why we're here is the foundation of what any chassid would want to do. Most people, they go through life and they don't think about why they're here. They go from day to day without really ever stopping to think, why am I on this world? Why did HaKadosh Baruch create me? What is my taklet? What's, what's the side of everything? What am I doing here? The existential question of our being is one that's not really focused upon. But the Ramchal says that if you want to be a chassid, if you want to really be a God-fearing Jew... This is something that we have to stop and consider. And then the Ramchal continues and he says, okay, so what's the reason why we're here? What's the answer? And he says that the purpose of our being created is to take pleasure from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The greatest pleasure in the world is by being nanem izivashchino. We just got through Pesach, and by the Seder, if anyone focused on the harachamans, at the end of the Seder, there's a very unique harachaman that said, only two nights a year in Chutzlaretz and one night a year in Eretz Yisrael. And that's, on Seder night, we say that HaKadosh we hope that we should be nanem mizivashchino. We want to be nana to that day in Eilam Haba, Yayim Shekule Aruch, Yayim Shetzadikim Yeshvim, Atreseim Bereshayim, Benanim Yizavashkina, V'yechelkeinu Imam, let our lot be with those Tzadikim. The greatest pleasure that a human being can have is in Eilam Haba, as he sits in the presence, Kaviyachal, the Rabbani Shleilam, and basks in the rays of the Rabbani Shleilam's presence. There is no greater pleasure than that. We've spoken out not too long ago, the Mechtem Eliyar of Dessler, who describes how the pleasure that you get in Eilam Haba, even for the smallest mitzvah that you performed, is greater than the cumulative pleasures experienced by all humanity in the entire history of the world. That's the greatest pleasure, being in Eilam Haba. So how do we get there? And the Ramchal continues and he says... The way we get there is by going first through this world. And this world, he describes as a praise there, and there's a lot of 
obstacles in our way. It's not so easy to get to Elam Habo. There's a lot of challenges and a lot of nisyanis that we have to go through. There are taivas, there's chumrias, there's gashmias. And a person, he says, is put in a melchama hachazaka. This world is full of great warfare. There's challenges. We have to take up arms against the Yitzhahara and fight every single moment of the day, of our waking hours, to defeat the Yitzhahara. That's the tactless of a human being. And if he's successful, he will get to that place in Eilam Haba. I think the best mushal to use, just to describe a little bit of how, how this is, is I'm sure you've all been to arcades. When I take my kids to arcades, whether it's on Chalamayed or whenever, so you spend many, many maybe sometimes tens or hundreds, sometimes not me, but other people that are a little bit more generous. I give my kids 20 minutes and that's it. But some people spend, you know, hundreds of dollars in these arcades. And, and the tickets are rolling. You know, you play skee-ball and you get some tickets spinning out of the machine and then you go, you do some uh, other types of games. At the end, you might have hundreds and hundreds of tickets. And at least in my case, we bring it up to the register and we think that there's going to be some great prize there. And you always just get an eraser. You always walk home with an eraser. Never anything cool. They have cool prizes, but that's like you have to go for like 20 years back to the, this arcade to get that iPhone or whatever it is that you want. But that's sort of what Eilam Haba is. Eilam Haba is you take all the tickets that you've amassed in this world and they take a lot back from you, by the way, before you get in there, because a lot of times we do things that are averus, and that cuts down the number of tickets. Then we give them up at the counter in Ayon And based on how many tickets we come in with, that's the amount of prizes that we get in Ayon That's the amount of schar, that's the amount of idun. The pleasure of Ayon is directly impacted by the amount of tickets that we bring to Ayon and of course, what are those tickets? And the Ramchal spells this all out. Those are the mitzvahs and maizim that we do in this world. Those are the tickets that we come to the counter of Elam Abba with. And hopefully we'll get more than an eraser. But you know what? Even if we get an eraser in Elam Abba, it's still greater than the mind can fathom. But if we're able to get even greater prizes, then we're set. Now you might be asking a question... Why is it that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does this to us? Why is it that he puts us through this spin cycle of Eilam Hazef, he's such a great metab, which he is, why not just leapfrog us right over Eilam Hazef and let us have Eilam Abba? If HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to give us all of this pleasure, so instead of taking this detour of Eilam Hazef and having to fight these battles daily against the Sahara. Every single moment, should I do this or should I not do this? Why not just give us Eilam Haba straight away? And the answer is a mushal. But this isn't a mushal, this really happened to me. When I was a child, I was maybe 10 years old, 11 years old, and I had nothing to do in the summer. So I decided to go to the local day camp and ask if there's any job available for me. 
And there was, there was a job of being a waiter. So I said, great, that sounds fun. So they said, fine, every morning you have to be here at like 7 o'clock in the morning. Now, 7 o'clock in the morning was a very early hour. The camp only starts at 9 o'clock. Why do I have to be here at 7? You'll see, just come at 7. I come at 7 o'clock in the morning, and they give me a mop, and they give me a bucket of water, soapy water. And they say, you see this big dining room here? It's a huge dining room. Mop it. And I was a little kid. I was 11 years old. I never mopped anything in my life. But they said, listen, you wanted the job? This is your job. So every morning I would come there, I'd mop the whole floor, and then I'd bring, you know, breakfast to these kids. And then I'd bring lunch to these kids. And these kids were like, like dangerous kids. And they would like scream at you if you're a minute late and if the fish sticks weren't, you know, uh, you know, sticky enough or not sticky enough, they'd go crazy on you and the, the bug juice, they would spill all over the floor and I knew I'd have to clean that up the next morning. This was going on for two months. It was really the two hardest months of my life. And at the end of those two months, I went into the executive director of the camp's office and I said, okay, how much do I get? So he says, come into my office, into my back office, and he writes a check, $86. Now, first of all, I mean, you could say, well, $86 back in the 1940s was a lot of money. But um, it wasn't the 1940s, and, and it wasn't a lot of money. And especially not for that amount of work. I mean, my kids make $80 for doing nothing. You know, just for having a pulse, they get $80 on a, you know, for allowance or whatever. And I had to schwitz for two months till I got this $86. But, and then I came home and I showed my father proudly the check for $86. And he says, okay, $8.60 Meister right now. So I had to give $8.60 off the top of that check. And then I'm sure the government got some of it also. And by the time I was done with it, there wasn't much left. But that money was so chashev to me that you can give me a check for thousands of dollars and it would not nearly be the same chashivas as that $86 that I got. You know why? Because when you work hard at something and you really earn it, the reward is compounded in multiples that we can't imagine. That's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu puts us through this world. He could give us a freebie. He could say, you know what, forget this world. You don't have to earn it. You just go straight to the front of the line of Elam Abba and you'll get all of this pleasure. But you're going to ask yourself, for what? What did I do to earn this pleasure? It's what Chazal call Nama de Kisufa. It's bread of embarrassment. It's humiliating. It's humiliating to get something that you didn't earn. Yeah, it's, it's geschmack, you know, but what did I do for it? You can't compare something that you've actually worked hard and achieved and gotten the reward from that than just getting something straight off for nothing. And that's why the Rebbein Shalom makes us go through this world in order so that we make these difficult decisions in life we have Bechira to choose good and bad, mitzvahs versus averis. And if we choose mitzvahs and we bring those up to the counter in Elam Abba, 
we will not only get great reward, but the reward is compounded by the fact that we'll have looked back and say, wow, look at what I earned. This isn't given to me for nothing. This is because I fought this fight and I earned my stripes and this is where I am. Lenetzach Mitzachim. And that brings us to this week's parasha. In this week's parasha, it's difficult really to find material for Joshua and for Shmuzin because the vast majority of the parasha really deals with things that are not timely for this time of year. It's primarily Yom Kippur topics. These are, the Avedi of Yom Kippur is really spelled out extensively in this week's parasha, so it's not that time of year. I mean, Shuvah is good the whole year, the Rambam says, but still, it's, nobody really wants to hear about Shuvah this time of year. It just doesn't go. But there is something, a fascinating daher, a fascinating thought from Shamshur Fal Hirsch on this week's parasha that's certainly Negea to us every single day of our life. We know that the Avaida of the, of the Kayin Gadol and Yom Kippur involved Shnei Seirim, there were two goats that were taken by the Kayin Gadol and the Psukim described how the Kayin Gadol cast lots and one lot said La Hashem and one lot said La Hazazel. And then they would take two Seirim and the Rambam describes how these two Seirim were identical Seirim. The Lashon of the Rambam in Hilchas Avedis Yom HaKippurim Perakei Halacha Yodalud what is the mitzvah of these two sirim? They should be identical. In appearance. And in size. The same build. And they should have the same valuation. They should basically be clones of one another. Or, if you will carbon copies of one another. Pun intended. Carbon. Carbon. <laughs> they should be indistinguishable. The two carbonas should be identical. And what happens to these two carbonas? Well, one goes Hashem. One is shechted on the Mizbeach as part of the Avedas Yemakipurim. And the other one is taken Lazazel. The other identical carbon is swept out by the Kayin God, by a Kayin, a special Kayin, an Ish Iti, taken out to the Midbar. Now, we know that that carbon has a tragic end. What happens at the end of the line of that carbon? At the end of the line, they take that carbon, this Ish Iti, and chuck it over a, like a rocky cliff. And that's the Aveda. It dies there in a very unceremoniously fa- ceremonious fashion, just dead on the rocks, blood and gory, terrible roadkill. That's the end of that Seir Lazazel. But imagine what's going through the mind of that Seir, if we'd be able to get into the mind of that Seir Lazazel as it's being marched out into the wilderness. What is he thinking? What is going through his brain? What's going through the Sierra Lazazo's brain is, boy, 
I am one lucky goat. I could have stayed. I could have had the lot Lashem. And then look at what would have happened to me. I would have been brought into the Mizbeach and I'd have to stay in the Beis HaMikdash. I get shechted, put on a Mizbeach as a carbon. Boy, am I glad that I dodged that bullet. Look, they're taking me out into the Midbar. It's a beautiful sunny day. Maybe I'll get a tan. And it's a nice breeze that's blowing. It's kishmak out here. It's a wonderful life. I'm so happy that I didn't end up like the Sir Lashem. That Sir Lashem, you know, not good. That's that holy goat, and uh, you know, that's that, 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 you know, Nebuchadnezzar, holy goat. I got Lazazo. I, Mamish, won the Powerball because I didn't have to have that faith. I'm being marched out here, and I'm going to probably be set free. And of course, we know that at the end, it was a terrible ending for that seer, Lazazo. And Rav Hirsch says that this is not just an Aveda of Yemakipurim, this is the Aveda of every Jew's life. The fact that there are two identical behemoths means it's a, it's a lesson for us that there are two identical paths for us to take in life. We could choose a path of Lashem. We could choose a path of Taira, of Mitzvahs, of being B'nai Taira, of following Halacha, of being Yireim, Ushleimim. That's one path to take. That's the Seir Lashem. That's one of the two courses that you could take in life. There's also another path in life that's free for us all to take as well. It's indistinguishable. There's nothing pushing me more in one direction or another direction. I could choose a Seir Lashem, or I could also choose to be that Seir Lazazel. And I could say, boy, oh boy, you know, those people that are choosing to go Lashem, I feel really bad for them. They are, after all, sequestered in those shuls, in those yeshivas, in those Beis Yaakovs. Look at what they have to put up with. Look at all their limitations. Look at their restrictions. Look at what they have to do, and look at what they can't do. That's not for me. I want to take another path in life. I want to take a path, Lazazo. I want to go out. I want to get away. I want to run away from the Beis HaMikdash. And I want to run into a Midbar. And I want to be free to do my own thing. And a person has that choice. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created life with Bechira Chavshis, because if there would not be Bechira Chavshis, if there would not be identical paths in life, if we would be weighted in one direction over another direction, then the entire system would not work. The only way that we could actually get Schar Va'enish and Elam Haba is if we have this system of Bechira Chavshis. If I was born and I have to automatically, robotically do one thing or another, that's not a fair thing. I could come up to Shemaim and say, it's not fair. Why do I have to suffer? Because I didn't, it wasn't an equal choice. Sakharish makes each and every one of us have equal choices. We make our own decisions. We're not, we have no gun to our head. We could do something or we cannot do something. We could choose to keep halacha or not keep halacha. We could choose to be over an Avera or be Maineya from an Avera. And everything is equal.
And that's the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu designed life. By design. But we should be warned that if we choose the wrong way, if we choose to go away from Hashem, and La'azazel, there are great long-term ramifications to that decision. And even if in this world it seems like those people won, but in Elam Haba will be clear that they lost. And this is something that's very, very pertinent to us as B'nai Taira. We have choices to be made. And I want to really address, I guess, primarily the new Talmidim and Yeshiva, um, but really to all of us. Now, I remember I once went to a certain Yeshiva to recruit in Eretz Yisrael, and you know, it's my job to give, give shmuzin over there in various yeshivas, and also, of course, the shmuz of the guys, and try to convince them to come to, to our yeshiva. And I was in one yeshiva, and there were two boys, very nice-looking, you know, fine, clean-cut boys, and they looked like ideal for, for our yeshiva. So before I gave my shmuz, I had a few minutes, and I went over to them and I was talking to them asking them their names and where they're from and very nice boys and I said to them no, so when are you starting Lander? when are you coming to Yeshiva? and they looked at me like a little bashfully and a little sheepishly and they were blushing a little bit and I said what's wrong? what did I, what did I say that was so bad? he says no Rabbi you know, we appreciate your efforts but it's a lost cause we're not going to Yeshiva after we're finished here in Eretz Yisrael. I said, where are you going? He says, well, I'm going to University of, of Maryland. And the other boy here is going to, I don't remember exactly, to be honest with you. One was Maryland, one was maybe University of Pennsylvania, or one of these other schools that have a very strong hill in it. And, you know, and I said, no, you think you're going there, but you're not going there. <laughs> what do you mean we're not going? We are going there. I said, no, 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 no. That's not the right decision for you. I said, there are, many, there are many institutions today that you could go and you're able to go and learn half a day and go to college half a day. But you cannot, in this day and age, go to a, a secular college because it's not going to be good for you. It seems like it's a good thing. It seems very geschmack to go to co-ed colleges and party and be part of the get-your-college experience, quote-unquote. But that's not what the Rabbi Shalom wants from you. And they looked at me like, you know, what are you talking about? Nobody ever said that to us in our life. We went through high schools and we had career guidance counselors and they told us to go to these Ivy League schools or co-ed schools. And now you're telling us something, you're showing us like a new color. And I was shocked that they were able to get through high school and in Eretz Yisrael, and no one ever bothered to, or, or were able to tell them this. And to make a long story short, they stayed in Eretz Yisrael a second year, and both of them ended up coming to Yeshiva here, and they both did exceedingly well. B'nai Taira, one of them, not too long ago, got married, and, you know, Kedasu, Kedin, real serious B'nai Taira. 
But many people think, and they do, they have Bechir Chavshis. When you come after Eretz Yisrael, you don't even have to go to Eretz Yisrael. That's also Bechir Chavshis. But let's say it's the cool thing to go to Eretz Yisrael, to get the Israel experience. When you come back after Eretz Yisrael and you have a decision to make where to go, you have Bechir Chavshis. Sometimes it's not really Bechir Chavshis. It's more heavily weighted to go to a, a Gayasha college. And by all accounts, it's the more tantalizing option is for sure to go to a not-Jewish college. I mean, we have a great institution here, and it's a lot of fun, and it's you know, great times, and great food, and great rabbeim, and awesome mashkiach, but, you know, but after all, it's pretty hard to compare that to, you know, to, to, to what other people, to maybe what guys in our class have chosen for themselves. Yabakhira. And it seems like they're living the life. Those people that made that decision, they're thriving. They're having a Gishmaka time. And you know, here it's okay, but it's not that much fun. The Chavitzchayim has a safer called Shmiris Kaloshan. It's his famous safer, one of his famous farim on Lashnara. And in that sefer, he has a, a shar called Shar Atayra. And in Shar Atayra, on the 10th parak, he explains what Chazal mean when they say that a man without Taira is like a fish without water. We know there's a Gemara at the end of Brachis, Rabbi Akiva was meiser nefesh to teach Taira Barabim, even though the Romans said, if you do it, we'll kill you. And they asked him, Rabbi Akiva, how can you do this? You're putting your life, you're risking your life. He says, listen, he says, it's a muscle of a fish who's swimming in the water and a fox comes to the water's edge and says, come out, fish, let's play. So he says, I'm afraid that, uh, he says, you know, and of course the, the fox wanted to eat the fish. So the, he's, and the fox, in order to sweeten the deal, says, listen, if you're in the water, you're going to get trapped. There's a lot of fishermen that are setting their nets and, and casting their lines down in the water. Aren't you afraid of, of dying? Come out, we'll play together. And the fish says, yeah. And the fish says, you know what? I'm taking a chance by being in the water, of course, and I'm going to get caught. I may die or I may not die, but if I go out of the water, I'm dead. There's no question that if I stay out of the water for a couple of minutes, I'm finished. And Rabbi Akiva says the same with me. Yeah, I might get caught for teaching Torah Barabim. I may die, I may not die. But if I stop teaching Torah, then I will die for sure. A life for me without Torah is not a life. So the Chavitz Chaim explains, what does that mean? What's the muscle exactly to a fish without water? Why is that what a person is likened to when he stops learning Torah. The Chavetz Chaim says an amazing chat. He says that when you take a fish out of water, does anyone ever, did anyone ever go fishing in their life? If you ever go fishing, you know, and I used to fish a lot when I was a kid, um, I would either fish on, you know, by the bay in Long Beach, or I'd go on a party boat with real men, real Gaiisha men. Like you get to sit on a boat with like 30 guys, and you know, and everybody's drinking beer on the boat, and you know, and there's a pool to, you know, whoever gets the biggest fish, you know, gets the whole pot. 
And so I know a thing or two about fishing. And when you catch a fish and you pull it up, the fish is now on the deck of the boat or on the, on the deck of the dock, and it's flopping around like crazy. The fish is like boom, 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 boom. It's all over. You have to like try to like run after it to catch it. Then you got to get the hook out, and then you throw it in the bucket of water, and it's flopping around, and it looks like it's like like the Energizer Buddy. It's like it's like all over the place. It's like doesn't stop moving. But then a few minutes later, it just gives one last kick, and it's dead. No more fish. Now, if a person would look at that fish out of water. Does it look like it's dead or does it look like it's alive right when you pull it out? It looks like it's the most alive thing you've ever seen in your life. It's flipping and it's flopping and it's going all around. It's doing somersaults and, you know, and, and, and acrobatics. It's jumping all around. It looks so geschmack. It looks so alive. Like, wow, if only I could be alive like that fish. But we know... Us biology majors know that that's not life. That's called rigor mortis. That's the throes of death. That's when a fish is about to die. He's like sort of like gasping for breath. He needs more oxygen in his gills. And he's looking for that. So he's like flipping all around to try to get as much energy as he can. But it's really clearly not working. And it really is death. It's just, it's death in slow motion. But it's really death. As soon as he's coming out of that water, he's really, as alive as he may look, he's dead. And the Chavetz Chaim says that that's what a Bentayr has to understand. It might look like if you leave Taira, if you opt out of the yeshiva system, and you want to go to a different direction, you want to take another road in life, and you want to take the road of no Taira. Oh, great, that's Geshmach. That means I get to go to a party school and I can do whatever I want on my terms and I don't have to dive and I don't have to go to Seder. I don't have to have anyone breathing down my back. I'm free and I can talk to anyone I want. I could have friends in any way that I want. I could do, you know, anything I want. I'm alive. And it looks like these people are so alive. It looks like they're having the time of their life and they're texting you and maybe like, you know, sending you you know, on their Facebook pages, like pictures of them doing, having selfies in every single country in the world, doing every type in the world, and it looks like they're so alive. But the Chavetz Chaim says that's not life. When a fish comes out of water, that life is death. It's very similar, I think, to what Rav Hirsch is saying about the Sir Lazazel. He feels alive. He feels, listen, look, I'm out in the free. I escaped the Beis Hashem. I feel like a million bucks. I'm like, I didn't have to go through that that my friend, the other seer, had to go through. And he feels alive, but ultimately, that life is just a march of the dead. And he's being marched to his certain death, being thrown over that cliff. These are the choices that we make. And we have the freedom, we have the Bechira Chavshis to make any choice that we want. That's part of what life is all about, but it's important for us to understand that the choices that we make, every choice that we make is vital. And what seems 
Like the bad choice is really the good choice. And it seems like the good choice is really the bad choice. It's confusing life. But it's important to know that the decisions that we're making are the right ones. And that we're on the right path. The fact that we're Sir Lashem, we might be sacrificing our life, but it's a sacrifice that's well worth sacrificing because it's good in this world and it's great in the next world. And not to be seduced by the tantalizing plan B on the menu because very often it seems good but it's really death I often say that all of the major decisions that a person makes in his life that are going to affect you till you're my age until your your parents age and your grandparents age are all being made during these years that you're in yeshiva. These years. The years from the age of, let's say, 18, 19 years old to 22, 23 years old, these few years are the major years of choices that you're going to be making in life. Think about it for a second. You're deciding, first of all, you're those post-Pesach guys, let's say, or you're deciding, should I stay in yeshiva? Or should I go somewhere else? That's a major decision. That's a major decision that will affect you forever. Those of you that are staying in yeshiva, or even if you're not staying in yeshiva, you have to decide on your major. What am I going to be doing for the rest of my life? Am I going to be going into Rabbanus? Am I going to be going into Chinuch? Am I going to be an architect, an accountant, a lawyer, a dentist, a doctor? an engineer, a businessman. What am I going to be doing with my life? What is my Parnassah going to be? What is my career going to be? All of that is being decided now as well. You have to decide now when you're, when you're so young. You're deciding things that you're going to be living with until you're ready to retire. What else are you going to be deciding on? You're going to be deciding on who to marry. Possibly the most important decision of your life. What kind of girl am I going to marry? What are her hashkafas? What are her ideals? What are my ideals? What should I be looking for in a wife? What should I not be looking for in a wife? All of these are things that you have to consider now because this is a decision that you're going to be making now. And when you get married, hopefully it will be at the right time and soon. You will be living with the same woman for the rest of your life. These are decisions that you make when you're young that have ramifications forever. All the major decisions, it's frightening. How much is put upon your shoulders at this pivotal time in your lives. I have a good friend who said that he got married very young. I got married a bit later. He got married very young. And he was maybe 20, 21 years old. And he married a girl, and Baruch Hashem, she was a great girl, and he's a great guy, and they're, you know, living happily ever after. But he told me more than once. He says, marriage is certainly something which is purely... Yad Hashem. He says, there's nothing that I did at 20 years old that today I'm still happy with that decision. Nothing. 
everything that you do at 20, 21 years old, 22 years old, most of the stuff, you know, you regret afterwards and you have like, what was I thinking moments. He says, I married a girl at 20 years old. I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't know what I wanted in life. I didn't know what life was all about. The Rebbein found me a shidduch. I married her. And Baruch Hashem, I'm content. But he says, that's such an amazing chiddush that I made a decision at such a young age and that I'm still living with that decision today and I'm happy with that decision. But all of these major choices, these bechiras that you make, are being made now. As we speak, your mind is developing and your ability to make good decisions hopefully is getting honed. And so that when the time comes that you have to decide exactly what your major is and you have to decide exactly what type of wife you want to marry, they will be there and it will be clear because you have the right guidance and the right hashkafas and the right amuna and the right system of, of understanding and belief and philosophy that, that everything will be made properly, that the choices will be good choices. It's unbelievable how many choices you have to make, and it's so important, therefore, in these times, to be in a yeshiva, to be Hashem, so you're going to be able to be in a place that the decisions that you're making are good decisions. Let me quote for you a medrash in Kehelis Rabbah. In Kehelis Rabbah, in Parsha Yud Beis, Parsha Yud Aleph, it says as follows. It's on the Pasuk of Smach Bocher B'Yaldusecha. Now this Pasuk is a very misquoted Pasuk. I remember when I was a kid, you know, no matter what you do, if somebody wanted to tell you, go and have a great time, they quote this Pasuk. Smach Bacher When you're a Bacher, have a great time. Be happy. Party it up. Enjoy your, your youth when you have it. That's the way the Pasuk is often interpreted. But if you see the end of the Pasuk there, it's not what Shlomo Melch is saying in Kayala. Shlomo Melch is saying, Smach Bacher You have that option, but you should know that Vidak Yal Kal Ewa on this two Akadosh will bring you B'mishpat. There will be a price to pay for whatever you do. You want to have a party? Fine. You have that right. You have the Vechira to have a party, but you should know that you're going to pay the price for that. Like you will for everything in life. Listen to this Medrash. Repinchas Aymer. Smach Bachar B'yaldu Secha. Mi garim l'chol hi Bachar B'ziknu Secha. Who is going to cause you to make the proper choices throughout the rest of your life so that when you're old, you're also going to be happy with the decisions that you're making? The Torah that you learned when you were this age as a bacher, that will lead you to making decisions that you're going to be happy with when you're a zakin. What, Shlein, what the Medrash is saying, I believe, is that the word bachar, that means a yeshiva bachar, a young bachelor, bachar is from Alashna Bechira. It's a time of decision making. And when we make the right decisions with our life, which yeshiva to go to, 
what we should major in, what's the best major for me that I should be able to live a good life, a proper life, a terrible life that I have time to learn, to do mitzvahs, to do chesed, to spend time with my family. What is going to cause me that when I'm ripe old age, I'm still going to be a from person, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to be proud of what I did with my life, with my family. It's the Bechira. It's the choices that I made when I was a Bachar. That's why we're called Bachrim. Because there are so many choices to be made right now. And you have to make those choices well if you want to ensure that you're going to be proud of yourself later in life. You're going to look back when you're in your rocking chair and thinking back on your life and you're going to say, Baruch Hashem, that I made those choices when I was young because had I not made those choices, my life would have took a completely different turn and it may have been a little bit more geschmack when I was young, but look at those friends that I had that made those decisions to go out with Azazel and look at them today and look at me today. You have to sometimes make decisions that you'll be happy about in hindsight. We often make decisions in the here and now. I want to do this. This seems really geschmack to do, so I'm going to do it. But if imagine if we'd be able to make all our decisions like looking at it with older eyes and looking back and seeing, you know, what should I do? That's how you should make a decision. What's going to be the decision that you'll be, you'll be proud of later in life? That's the way you should decide today. A bachar has to be sameach with his bechira now so that when he gets older he'll be happy with where he is then. Now we're talking about very broad decisions this morning up until this point. We're talking about the major big ticket item decisions. Which yeshiva to go to? What major to, 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 to sign up for? To declare? What, what wife to choose? These are major decisions. And that's of course you know, the big crossroads of life. But there's also minor decisions that will have very profound effects on our life. You know, there was a... We all know that there was that terrible massacre in Harnof. I remember I was up that night, maybe I had a premonition of some sort that something was going on, and I, I heard the news, and, and I was like, it's a pachet pachadim. When you hear that B'nai Yishmael, the rights when they go into a into a Beis HaKnesses while people are davening with talos and tefillin. And they mamashech people one after another, Kedoshim Mutahirim. It's a pachad. It's always a pachad. Everything happening in Eretz all the stabbings are a pachad. But this hit very close to home, I'm sure, for all of us. And then especially when we found out about the caliber of all of those Kedoshim and who they were. And there was one that was very, very special. And his name was Ramesha Chorsky, Hashem Yinkam Damov. Ramesha Chorsky was a Tamakacham of the highest caliber. He was a Rebbe in Teres Mesha. He was a grandson of Yeshubar Salavechik, and he was not only his grandson, but he was his prized Talmud. Yeshubar felt like he was going to be his successor. 
That's how much he was machshev this for Moshe Chorsky. And the more you read about him, the more you realize that he wasn't really a person. He wasn't a human being. He wasn't a mortal. He was somebody that was beyond. He was a malach. And he never spoke about Elam Hazet. And on Shabbos, he would never sleep any Shabbos. He would just stay up the entire Shabbos, Friday night, Shabbos afternoon. He would just sit and learn the entire Shabbos, besides for the davening and the Sudas. He didn't want to miss out a second of Kedusha Shabbos. And everything that he did was perfect. And one of his Talmidim, his name is Rabbi Baruch Noy, he wrote an article shortly after this incident, and it made a reshim on me, and I remembered it, and I, I printed it out for the shmuz, because it made such a profound reshim on me. He says that, first of all, he says that people call my Rebbe a Kaddish because he was murdered on Kaddish Hashem. He says, whoever says that never met my Rebbe. Because he didn't have to be killed al Kiddush Hashem to be a Kaddish. He was already a Kaddish Bechayim. When he was alive, he was already a Kaddish. He didn't have to be murdered al Kiddush Hashem. Because he was... He sanctified the Rabbi Nishom in his real life, not just with his death. And he goes on to be masked him and, you know, speak about his greatness. But there was one thing that was really very moving... And at least for a short while after I read it, it really affected a lot of things that I did. Then, of course, you know, life goes on and you begin to forget about things, but it's a good reminder, and I wanted to share it with you. He says, it's very hard to learn a lot from, from my Rebbe because he raised himself to such high levels that, you know, it's very hard to expect myself to reach such lofty heights. But he says, however, here is what Rebbe taught me. Think twice. Before you act, think again if this is really going to bring you to an elevated relationship with Hashem. He said, I understand that from the day I met Rebbe some 13 years ago, he most likely did not need to think twice anymore. I also understand that I cannot expect to imitate this feat. But I can think twice. Before I click on a link, I think twice. Before I spend money, I think twice. Before I make a bracha, I think twice. Before I eat from a suspicious hechsher, I think twice. This habit I did not imitate. Rather, I was taught. This is something that Rav Chworsky used to teach his Talmudim. These decisions that we make in life are not just the huge decisions. The Bechira Chavshis that we have, we sometimes think of as like a huge, at the huge forks in the road, we have to make the right choices. And that's of course true, but it's no less true than the Bechira Chavshis that we have every single moment that we're awake during the day. So many times we are sitting by a computer and we are surfing the web and we see a link and the natural thing is it's taking me somewhere that I want to see for whatever reason 
before we click on the link, Rav Tversky would tell us, you want to click on it, you have the choice, but before you do it, just think, stop a second and think. Is this something that's going to elevate me to the Rabbi Shalom or take me down a notch? How many times do we eat something? So many times, you know, people come in and they're hungry and they're, you know, you come into, let's say, your parents' kitchen and, you know, there's some fruit on the, on the, on the table and you just, like, take a piece of pineapple or grape and you pop it in your mouth. You don't even think. And you forget to make a bracha. Or sometimes you remember to make a bracha, but what type of bracha is it? It's just mamish like, you know, you're so hungry that you just, as the food is going to your mouth, you already finished an entire bracha and you have no idea what you said, just... But you made a bracha, it was a matir for you to eat the fruit. Before you make a bracha, think. Think about what the point of a bracha is. Think if it's the right bracha to make on this particular fruit. Before we bench, remember to bench. Remember to bench with kavana. Remember to whom we're benching. Sometimes we go places and we, uh, and you know, we're hungry and there's a restaurant there and it's some dubious hechsher, we're not sure, but, you know, it says bus or kosher or something on the, on the window and we say, okay, it must be okay. Or we're at a chasna and the chasna looks like a, a little bit of a shady type of place. I've never been here before. You know, who's the rabbi matcher? What's going on? Before you do something, just think about it first. Don't go with the flow. Don't be a sheep in life. Don't just say, okay, it must be okay, and let's just do it. Think twice. If a person is able to think twice, he stands a much better chance of making a better decision. How about when we speak? How about when we're in the dormitory and there's like a whole bunch of guys and we're schmoozing and I want to say something. I want to say something that's funny. I want to say something very sharp, very witty. I want to say something that's perhaps prost, not appropriate. I want to share some Lashon Hara that I may have heard today or some news story that's completely not appropriate to share with people or a joke that's off-color. Think. Before we open our mouths, we have to think. We have to make good decisions with our mouths. Because so many times we shoot off, we shoot from the hip when we say something and look at the damage that's done. We cause people to be hurt. We cause people to cry themselves to sleep. We cause people to lose their good reputation. We cause ourselves to lose our good reputation by the things that come out of our mouth sometimes. Rabbi Victor Miller, if you ever heard his, his, um, his tapes, his tapes were very famous. I know that tapes are not the proper word to use, but they were known as Rabbi Victor Miller tapes back in the day. Now I'm sure they're all on CD and digitized, but they were tapes. There were thousands of tapes that he put out. And there were Makarev, hundreds, maybe thousands of people around the world that, that subscribed to these tapes. And it was very hard as a bacher, even though that my Rebbe was a huge fan of Rigda Miller, he would play his tapes once in a while and share, and I would like fall asleep. 
because he spoke in a very, like, he was like, he would, you know, he, his, every, between every sentence, he would, like, pause for a few seconds. And it made it, like, really, like, slow. Like, you wanted to, like, fast forward the tape a little bit, like, so, and would, that would maybe be, like, a normal sounding tape. If you were able to, like, quicken it a little bit, that would be normal. But it was, like, so slow. And I asked the Rebbe once, why, is he, why does he pause so long between every sentence? Like, there's a period and then there's like an indentation. If you would, you know, if you would have a transcript, it would be like a new paragraph, every single word. What's going on? Every, every sentence you need to pause? And he says, he's not like everyone else in life. He doesn't say a sentence before he has formulated it in his mind and has made sure that it's proper and it's true and it's accurate. That's not like what we do. We just shoot from the hip. We say whatever we want and we ask questions later. And if people get hurt and if there's collateral damage, so be it. That's the way human beings speak. But special people are not that way. They think twice before they say something. Before you open up your mouth, you should pause for a second and say, is what I'm saying going to elevate me and my speech and the Rabbi Shalom or not? These are the critical moments of decision-making that we have, not just at the big points in our life, but even on the small points, every single moment, as we're sitting by our computer, or as we're looking at our smartphones, or as we are talking in a, in a dorm room, or as we're eating at a fasna, or as we're driving in a car, all of these temptations, all of the Yetzirahs, all of these different decisions are flying at us in real time and we have to try to think twice to swap them down, the ones that are bad and to catch the ones that are good. If we're going to be happy with how we are later in life, if we're going to feel good about ourselves later in life, Shlomo Melch is telling us that you have to make the right decisions today when you're a buffer. Don't say, you know what, when I turn 80, that's when I'll suddenly morph into a shach. Now I want to enjoy my life. Leave me alone with this muster, with the Yerushamayim. I don't want to do it. Later in life, I'll do tshuva. I'll be a from guy later. It doesn't work that way. If it would work that way, that might be a plan. But it doesn't work that way. The decisions that you make today will decide whether or not you're a shach later. If shach didn't become a shach at 80, if shach became a shach at 13, at 18, because he made those decisions when he was that age that went on to inform and inspire him when he was in his 90s. This is what we learned from the parasha, from the Shnei Sirim. It's far better, although it's less glamorous, to be a Sir La Hashem than to be the Sir La Zazel. Sir La Zazel looks good on the surface, but its end is not good. And Asir Hashem looks like he's sacrificing so much to the Rabbi and Bachatzer's Beis Hashem, but he's Asir Hashem. He served an Avaidah to the Rabbi that was elevating, and his life was worthwhile. And there are so many anecdotal stories that I could tell you, but we don't have time, of how I've seen in my own life. Friends, 
and how the decisions that they made when they were young affected them later on. There were people that I knew growing up that were, had so much promise and so much potential and they left the derech to very, very bad results. And I had friends in life that they made very difficult decisions to go in the proper path and today they are amazingly successful human beings. And I don't mean because they became huge but because they were able to stay on the derech, they have beautiful families, Shabbos and Yantif and Kashrus and, and, and Halachas and Limanatayra, they're success stories. But it all starts now. The decisions that we make today are decisions that will affect us forever and ever in this world and the next world. And halavai chalkeno imahem, our chalak should be with those tzaddikim that were zaycha to make those right decisions in life. The very first Ramah in Shulchan Aruch says that, that a person should have a consciousness constantly that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in front of him. Shivisi Hashem Lunegdi Samid Hu Klal Gadol Batayra Uvamailos HaTzadikim Asher Hochem Lifnelikim This is a Maila this is a great Maila Batayra. And the Maila Satsadikim that walk in front of Hashem. Who cloud Godel Batayra. Over Maila Satsadikim. You know what the Gra says in the Bira Gra? He adds one word to this Ramon Shokhanara. Who call Maila Satsadikim. You know what makes a Tzadik into a Tzadik? The cognizance that Shivisa Hashem Nagisama, that Hashem is always in front of me. When you know that Hashem is in front of you, you make decisions differently. When you ignore the fact that Akadosh is in front of you, you can make terrible decisions. And so trying to train ourselves to understand that Akadosh Hu is always here, even when we're alone in a room. Akadosh Hu is watching everything that we do and applauding us when we make the right decisions and being disappointed when we make the wrong ones. That is the entire Mailas HaTzadikim. That's what makes a Tzadik a Tzadik. And that's where we could go ourselves if we're conscientious about it. If we want to really make decisions well, then we could ourselves be Tzadikim. This is the Yisayda Chassidus, the Sherish HaVayda. Hashem, we should be Zeichet to making good decisions in our life, both big and small. And Mitzah Hashem will have a wonderful Shabbos.